I mean, where where are we, Bruce? I mean, you know, how far down the wrong path have we traveled already in terms of thinking that um, kids benefit by being watched and evaluated and assessed at every turn? Well, hey again, everyone, and welcome back to the Modern Learners Podcast. As always, I'm Will Richardson, your host, and in this, our 45th episode, Bruce and I have one of our wide-ranging conversations about the state of schooling and learning, and this one is pegged to a powerful post by the author Carol Black titled, Children, Learning, and the Evaluative Gaze of Schools. I think it's one of the most powerful posts that I've read in 2018, actually, and it begs the question, are we doing the right thing for kids in schools? I know you're going to enjoy this conversation. Don't forget, if you like our podcast, please head on over to iTunes and give us a rating and a review. And check out our recently renamed online space, the Modern Learners Community. You can get there by going just to modernlearners.community, where we're reimagining the way thoughtful conversations can happen online. And finally, don't forget to check out our live Modern Learners Labs that are coming to Perth, Christchurch, and Auckland in August, and to other places around the U.S. and Canada this fall. You can get all the info at modernlearners.com slash labs. So thanks so much again for listening, everyone, and spread the word about Modern Learners. We're putting the focus back on learning. Enjoy. So what have you been uh, reading lately, man? Well, you know, it, there's so much to read, obviously, uh, just about every day when I go online. My Feedly list is never-ending, and I, I can never keep up with it, but... Um, but I came across a post um, today by a woman named Carol Black, who yep. is, uh, I think, one of the most profound writers about learning and education. And um, she posted this, I think, about three, four days ago. Um, and it's called Children Learning and the Evaluative Gaze of School. And I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about it because it kind of fits with some things that I've been writing. I know some things that we've been talking about certainly on podcasts before, but it's this idea of, of how much now kids are being watched, kids are being assessed, kids are, are being um, really given very little time to be by themselves, um, to be you know, in isolation, um, and to kind of just sort out their own worlds. And um, this particular essay just blew me away. Um, many of the things that she has written in the past have been, I think, profound and all of them are worth the read, but this one in particular, I thought was uh, was was just poignant and relevant, and I thought maybe we could just talk about it for a little bit. So, um, I'm just going to give you the kicker kind of first paragraph here. Um, and yeah, that's a great opener. Yeah, and I know it's, it's not the first paragraph, but the first paragraph in the essay that I think is is relevant and and worth uh, worth just kind of talking about for a bit, but. Um, you know, I mean, it, it is, we have gotten to the point now where, and let me just say this too, I, I do think that in our heart of hearts, most adults in schools know that we have a problem. Um, and I, I, I think also that it would be an interesting day if all of us kind of just stood up and went with our hearts and yep. didn't go with our kind of our, uh, our habits and our, our narratives. Um, I think we'd probably do a lot more good for kids. And I just want to preface this by saying this is another one of those conversations where I worry that the message that's going to come across is that we hate schools and we hate teachers and, you know, that schools are no good and, and whatever else. That's not, that's not what we're saying. But 
um, I think she's saying, and, and I'm saying certainly, that we have some problems. And I think those problems are getting more acute given the moment in which we live. And I think they are um, some things that we have to begin to attend to at more depth. So anyway, let me read you this first, this first paragraph that caught my attention. She says, there's some, she's talking about the evaluative gaze of school. And she says, there's something profoundly deadening to a curious, engaged child about the feeling of being watched and measured. Or even some studies suggest the anticipation of being measured. Sure, some kids seem to dig it. They preen and pose for it. They compete with their friends for it. They want to be better than everybody else. But everybody can't be better than everybody else. And the business of being constantly scrutinized and compared to others does something insidious to the life of a child. And I think it's, first of all, just powerful writing, obviously. But, um, you know, given the, the topic of the column this week that I wrote in terms of these uh, new technologies and new software out there, and it's going to be watching kids' eyes as they read and yeah. that, you know, allow teachers and adults and bus drivers and whoever else to start kind of constantly taking notes that they look anxious or upset or whatever. I mean, where, where are we, Bruce? I mean, you know, how far down the wrong path have we traveled already in terms of thinking that? Um, kids benefit by being watched and evaluated and assessed at every turn. Yeah, I worry. I mean, we both worry, I know at times, that we just keep stumbling along this, this same path that, that we've almost accidentally tripped into um, about what, how we should be assessing, evaluating, measuring, testing, uh, making kids accountable. And, and the tragedy of it is that underneath it all, there's not really... Um, a solid rationale. Every time you check someone and you, you you ask them, you know, why are we doing this? Should we be doing this? Do you believe in this? The the answer is always the same, and yet we continue to do it. And it's it. You can put it down to habit. You can put it down to compliance. I mean, compliance is usually the reason we say this. You know, oh, we have to. We're told to. We have to evaluate all that sort of stuff. Um, I, you know, probably a little bit more harshly would say a fair bit of it's complacency complacency rolling a bit across from habit in that I think, you know, we, the way we do things in schools is an extension of the way we've always done things in schools rather than challenging why we do things in schools. And I think that um, it's, it's a time now where we just have to reassess why we're doing these things and start to align our practice with our beliefs. And that's always, that's our mantra. That's the mantra we have in modern learners. It's the mantra certainly that we've been talking about in change school over the last 18 months. And I, I must admit at times I get lost a bit like you, you're saying too, that how can we continue to go down this path? And, and your post this week in, in uh, Shifting Conversations hits the nail right in the head. I mean, you can, you can only believe that we've, we've taken a, a, a dumb pill if we continue to go down this path in the way we are. The fact that we'd be using technology so inappropriately in so many places and now consider using it even more inappropriately to assess kids' wellness or attitudes or how well they're feeling is just very, very sad. And I think the thing that Carol Black's post does is takes us right back to the start. You know, that notion of why do kids do the stuff they do? Do they, do they have to have us there sort of making some judgment on, on everything they do? I mean, the extreme of it, of course, yeah, the, the flip of this whole thing is that completely, you know, over-empathising, supporting parent who, you know, oh, oh, that's lovely. Everything you do is lovely and we can't give any kids little ribbons at sports and we can't have kids. We sort of get, we've got two extremes. It's almost like we're going to evaluate, test and judge everything a child does 
or we're going to do the exact opposite. And, and no, neither way really seems to make sense. You know, it's about time we trusted kids and their own judgment. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I didn't ever have a feeling that I needed my mother to sit around and tell me, you know, what was good and what was bad. I, I could work it out. I could make a fair judgment and occasional comments, fine, but not something that's supposed to determine what I should and shouldn't do. That's where we get into trouble because we start relying on external factors to make a judgment about our behaviour and about our attitudes. So in our Slack channel today, Missy posted this tweet that she'd seen um, from a school principal. I'm not going to give the name, but basically, um, and I, I, I really don't know if this was a joke, <clears throat> serious, but basically he was answering a question in a, in a Twitter chat. And he said, before students leave for the summer, I write their reading level on their forehead with a Sharpie. I then check it when they return to see where they are and indicate with either an up or a down arrow. That's now, a great idea. That's a, no, I love that. That's a really I mean, idea. I, I mean, I, I just, I pray that that's a joke. I, I mean, sure. I, I can't imagine. I, I looked in the thread. There doesn't seem to be any hoo-hoo-ha-ha <laughs> that follows that. But I, I just can't imagine. And, and am I wrong, Bruce? I, I mean, I really believe that, you know, in our heart of hearts, most adults who care about kids know that all the evaluating, all the assessing, all the ranking, all the scoring, all of this stuff that we do to kids is, is not good to do to kids. I really, I really believe that, but am I wrong? I mean, are we so far down or, 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 or is our habit so ingrained that, we, that we've lost our ability to step back from our practice and evaluate it through the lens of, the simple lens of, is this good for kids? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I know <laughs> both of us have had these these discussions, you know, daily. I mean, is it with, good for kids to take a Sharpie to their forehead? Yeah, and, no, no, no. We've got to pray that that is, that is just oh. a hell of a joke, um, a, a very sick joke. It's a bad joke. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it, sometimes it's sort of this behaviour that we're witnessing and, and the rationale that's, that's often being promoted by those with the self-interest or the commercial benefit um, they're deriving from it um, can be very depressing because, because we know from all the thousands of people, teachers, educators, educational leaders we work with, um, it's almost like they're locked away their beliefs. It's almost like, because when we talk to these people, we know that that's not what they believe. We know that, we know that they believe in their heart of hearts. This isn't good for kids. We know that they believe that we shouldn't be doing all these things we keep talking about. And yet somehow we're not, they're not able to articulate it and certainly not able to stand by it to use Gary's rephrasing of the work we do. And I, I think that's probably the heart of the problem is that we don't give ourselves, we don't, leaders don't give themselves, leaders don't give their faculty enough time to sit down and reflect on it and look at it as a priority. I mean, there is, we would be told schools are so busy, there's no spare time. And the last thing they, they want to do is, is block out a whole slab of time, a workshop, a retreat, call it whatever you like, have a long-term conversation with their school community, not just to parents, not just to teachers, but to parents and to the kids and to the wider community. And say, so what, what do you believe, you know, and how can we put in place 
how can we articulate those beliefs and how can we stand by them in a practice within the schools? I would be extremely depressed if basically people didn't really hold in their hearts the idea that all this assessment that we're doing is just not great for children. And that, sorry, sorry to interrupt you for a second, but, 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 but there's, there's, there's mountains of evidence. There's, that's the point. Well, right. That, but we, but is it is it that we're just going to ignore that evidence because it would require us to change too much? It would require us to just rewrite the playbook to the extent where it's going to look so unfamiliar that we won't know the rules. And I don't mean the written rules, I mean the unwritten rules. You know what I'm saying, right? The, the tacit norms that go along with doing schooling in a way that doesn't lead everybody down this narrow path to a grade, to you know some type of assessment or ranking. It's, it's the mantra that's always, you know, you hear when you, when you, whenever you step outside this sector, the education sector, and you, you, you hear the uninformed comments by some politician or policymaker, or more importantly, you know, someone out completely outside the field, particularly out of the corporate sector, is, you know, accountability, accountability, accountability. And it's usually right. the lazy teacher, the teacher doesn't want to be found accountable. And yet, I, I mean, I, I lament the whole note. The quality of that discussion is appalling because for a start off, if we just applied the so-called same accountability rules to the corporate sector that we are supposedly applying to kids sitting in classrooms, it'd be a whole different world. And, and I mean, the lack of accountability across the corporate and the business sector just stuns me. And, and yet somehow we're supposed to come up with some narrow measures that have nothing to do with learning that tell us where the teachers are doing a good job. I mean, it's just crazy. And the ability of people to find evidence to suit their argument is, is even, you know, crazier. I, I, I worry that there is such a lack of logic in the discussion. I mean, we talk about, and Carol talks about Alfie Cohn's work. I mean, Alfie's been doing extraordinary work. He's got for people who are listening or, or watching, you know, I think everyone knows you've probably seen it on YouTube. There are plenty of posts. He writes a regular blog and articles and, and many books that I've read for many years. And, you know, you, you listen to him and, and you think, well, okay, you know, he plays a pretty hard game. I mean, he goes at it very hard. And I think you and I can empathise with the nature of that because at it, it, so many levels, the evidence, you, you can take whatever level you want to, you can say, this is what, you know, Will and Bruce believe, or this is what Elfie believes. Why should we do this? Well, you can say, where's the evidence? And we say, well, here's the mountain of evidence here that says that the things we're talking about are supported by whatever research or evidence you want. And then you can just take a little step back and say, and what's the logic of all this? Let's, let's just think this through. Let's talk this through as a group and say, is it logical for us to, to continually want to test and measure everything that, that kids are doing and believe somehow that's going to contribute to them learning more or achieving more. Um, my final comment, I've, I've, I've most of had this discussion previously. In my own country, in Australia, the, the evidence is sort of so ridiculously obvious. It stuns me that, that there isn't just universal, oh, this was wrong, let's go back to doing what we were doing. The country, you know, in the late 90s, I'll be bold enough to say, Australia was in the top bracket. It was in the top two or three, generally measured by observation, um, you know, a, a broad range of people walking around schools in the country said, you know, you've got a relative amount of school autonomy. You've certainly got professional autonomy within many of your schools, not in all schools, not in all states. There was a really decent sort of feeling that the professional, the professional uh, learner, the teacher, was the person who was 
really guiding the learning of their kids. Um, there was trust above all else. And that trust, of course, is um, the underpins everything we're saying. And then along came this ill-informed, pathetic adoption of, um, uh, of US standards by, by an education minister at the time who became our prime minister, Julia Gillard. And, and then came in national testing, league tables, and we just went down the, the route that we're on now. Now, what happened, if you want to keep going on that path, if you want to stick by those stupid metrics, was our so-called national scores plummeted. Well, even using this, the silly external measures and international benchmarking, it, there's evidence there that it, it's, it's got us nowhere. So why do, we, why do we want to continue to follow or pursue a path that isn't giving us the outcomes that people are looking for in the broad world, in, in the bigger world, um, politically or, or at, the, at the classroom level? Why don't we go back to thinking this, about this notion of trust and start thinking more close, closely about what will it take for us to go back to that space where we relied on the professional judgment of the educators who are responsible for working with our kids? I, I'm at a loss. Well, I, I think it's hard. I, 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 I'm at a loss too. And I think the reason is because the answer is so big and huge and hairy that um, it's almost impossible to to wrap your brain around how it happens. But I do think it comes back to a lot of things that Seymour Saracen was writing about too. And that you know, goes to the power relationships because um, basically we like to have power over kids. I mean, uh, we may not come out and say it, but um, we are constantly trying to get kids to comply to, um, you know, to basically toe the line, to live within the rules, to paint within the lines, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that's really about power. And that's the other quote in this essay that I thought was really powerful. And she says, our entire education system, the whole hegemonic edifice of curricula and standards and data and rubrics and behavior charts and point systems and grades and tests is steeped in a stance of, of objectifying and quantifying children. It teaches them to live from the outside in, to view themselves through the gaze of others, to allow themselves to be quantified and diminished by those who have the power. And, you know, it, it really is, I think, so very scary for people in education. And I understand it, believe me. Um, and, and there are lots of reasons why. You know, because again, people are going to be held accountable by people who are thousands of miles away in some state house somewhere who have no idea what teaching or learning is or have no idea what really education is. Um, but people are so very scared to relinquish the power that they hold in classrooms, teachers in, in particular. And administrators are so very scared to relinquish the power they have over teachers and kids because they just don't know, well, they, they're not sure what will happen when they do that. I think that's a big piece of it. But they, they, in the current system, in the current reality, at least have a clear sense of what success is, how you get to that end point, and how you make people happy in terms of parents, state house, you know, community members, anybody, because we just got to keep doing what we've been doing. We just got to get better at it. It's a power thing. And, and to, to really give away power to kids and teachers um, would require just a huge, huge revision of the narrative um, that I think most people are not clear in terms of how they'd even articulate it. 
So is, yeah. it, is, it, is, it, is, is that the problem then? Let the, I mean, because you're heading exactly where we've been to in some of our workshops and, and certainly the work that Lynn Hilt did in our online workshop about agency and, and about what that offers us. And so is it just that people aren't clear about it? Is it just they don't know how to do this? Is it just that they're so familiar with the traditional environment that they, they don't want to let go? Is it just a lack of knowledge? If you know, and again, I, I'm, I'm hoping that this is a joke. But if if marking a kid's forehead with a sharpie isn't a isn't a power thing, I don't know what is, right? I mean, and this goes back to the conversations we've been having about the headmaster who cut the kid's hair in Australia. It goes back to another article that Missy shared today about a principal who was arrested because a kid had written "fu" on his hand, and the principal took like I don't know some chemical and tried to rub it off and burned the kid's hand. I, I, look, it, you know you can go down through all of these types of stories. Some of them are are blatant, some of them are hor horrific, others are more subtle. But I think that at the end of the day, um, you know we exert our power in an effort to maintain the status quo. When kids act out and want to want to take the agency that we should be giving them, when they want to take it for themselves and pursue things that are really interesting to them, we, we tell them, no, that's not within the curriculum. It's not the way that we do it. It's too hard to assess. It's this, that, whatever else. When we have teachers who want to innovate, who want to step out and let's say, you know, for instance, a lot of examples now of teachers who are trying to get away with not giving grades, who are trying to go down that path. Ultimately, for most of those teachers, the answer becomes no, because parents are complaining, because it's too hard to, to translate that into something that colleges can understand or whatever else. So I, I, I just think that at the end of the day, um, I, I come back to this question, though, that I'm having a more difficult time answering now than I ever have. And that is, don't people really get it in here, what we're doing to kids? And I, I mean, I'll, I'll be despondent <laughs> if it feels like the answer is they don't even understand it on that level. I, you know, it's like, if you understand it on that level, but yet you feel powerless or you feel so just put upon that you don't you can't carry out what you feel, that's one thing. But if you come to the conversation really believing that what we're doing here is the right thing to do for kids, then we're in a totally different place that I'm not sure how we get out of that. I think- Okay, you know, okay. so I'll ask you of all the workshops you- all Let me the just by saying, if, if people come to it, if people come to it with, with you know, a sense of what, of what the appropriate you know, way of, of teaching or the appropriate way of doing this is, at least then if you open up the opportunities for that to happen, it will happen, right? Yep. But if you don't have that to start with, lots of luck. Okay, so given, and you've been busy in the last couple of months, you've been doing a lot of workshops in uh, a number of places, actually, a number of countries. And, and you know, I mean, this is a, this is a fairly um, uh, distant type of observation, but, but with all the people you've been working with, you know, how, which of those two things do you think is the case with most of the people where you've talked to them? Do you think they are aware of this and they want to do something about it or that they're aware of it and they're happy with the, thing, the way things are? I think most people want to do something about it, but they feel powerless or they just don't know how to make okay. it happen. Okay, one of those two. Yep. I, 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 that's kind of what keeps me going here, right? 
Because like I said, if, it, if it's just that they, they just don't know it or they don't care, then we're really lost at that point, I think. Or, 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 if, they, or if they know what's happening and they're quite happy with it the way it is, Either way. we're lost too. Yeah, that's right. Kids are, kids are lost in that circumstance. Yeah, no yeah. Yeah, and so I, I, I guess it that so it comes back to us saying that that for, for many of them they don't quite know what the next steps are. They don't quite know how do they deal with this. They know that they know their practice isn't aligned with their beliefs. They know that in many ways what's happening within their schools isn't right for kids, but they don't know how to make the shift to to do what what is right. And 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 that's you know you were talking about the effect that it has. I think part of the problem is that this effect uh, isn't immediate, isn't, it isn't always cause and effect, it isn't something happened today, you know, I mean, I'm sure pouring some whatever it is on the kid's hand with FU had immediate effect and that's, you know, wacky do. But I mean, there's sorts of things we're talking about, the oppression of high stakes exams and tests, you know, that doesn't come out straight away other than kids stressed at home or whatever else. And it doesn't come out in a way that people say, this, is, this can't go on anymore, we, we've got to stop this. So I guess the problem we've got is, you know, how do we take people through the process of understanding what is right and how they can go about it? Well, I think part of it is what we're going to be talking about in Chicago, too. And, you know, it's not a promo, but I mean, it's culture. I mean, it's about creating a culture where people acknowledge at least what some of the deficiencies of the system are and some of the deficiencies in our practice are, where we can at least stand up and say that we're not doing the right thing here. We're not quite sure how to get to the right thing, but... Yep. You know, we say this all the time, but, you know, it's kind of a throwaway line, but the first step to solving your problem is to acknowledge that you have one, you know, and yep. basically to admit and say, this is not right. This, this is not right. And that doesn't mean we have to change it today or tomorrow or six months from now, but we got to have some big hairy conversations as to what is right. What is yep. right for kids when it comes to this? And then the second question becomes, how can we take what we know is right for kids and um, either bend the system to that way of thinking or work within the current system to make as much of that possible happen, right? So that it, maybe it's not 100% of the time that we are able to do what we know is right, but maybe it's even 25% of the time where we give kids opportunities to create things, to, um, to really pursue their passions and interests, where we don't grade something, where we don't assess it, where we simply accept it you know, for what it is and, and let kids reflect on it and let kids own it a hundred percent. I think, I, th I think that's interesting approach because as you said, I mean, you, you, you know, you can't change things over day, these things overnight, these things take time. Uh, we've often quoted as saying, you know, people like Peel and, and even a high tech uh, schools we've worked with across the world, you know, they, they can work on this, this shift for three to five, even seven years to get there because you can't change culture overnight. You can't build a culture that allows this to happen. And, and the trust that, that leaders need to show in teachers, um, that the departments and, and districts need to show in, in leaders, um, isn't something that just happens because all of a sudden, you know, you've decided something's got to change. Um, and I think I'm, I'm also interested in when, when you talked about this, this happens in little steps, it can certainly happen in a particular grade or a particular area or a particular part of the, of the school day. But I always keep coming back to this thing about, okay, we've got kids at school for 13 years. Let's, let's just for random, we'll accept that they're going to be there for 12 or 13 years. Like we could have the discussion there too. We could also discuss things like school day calendars, schedules, the whole thing, but we won't go down that path. 
And let's just momentarily assume that at the end of their schooling, we're going to still have this barrier of something's going to have to assess someone to measure what they're going to do. I'm, we, we can have that debate later on, but let's even assume that in the last two or three years of schooling, um, there's going to be some sort of process that's going to make selections. What about the rest of the time kids are at school? Now, the next step that people take is, well, it's too important when they start school. They've got to do their reading and arithmetic and all that stuff. Um, ironically, I think both of us would say that some of the most powerful reform, transformation, change that we're seeing in schools is happening with four, five and six-year-old kids. And by the way, has nearly always happened at that level. Right. Whether it's a Reggio approach, you know, Reggio Emilio, for people who aren't familiar with it, whether it's at that level, uh, you, you talk to the average um, early childhood teacher and they're engaged with kids, they're observing kids, they're working. They have a very different perspective about how this takes place, by and large, than, say, teachers in, in the senior grades. But let's just leave that momentarily and assume that, you know, we hope that there, there is that wisdom and that, that happening in the very early grades. What about once a kid has the so-called, you know, basic literacies and whatever else, and they're seven, let's, let's just randomly take seven or eight years of age, and before they hit this starting gate of the, of the big measures at sort of 16, what are we going to do in those six or seven years there? I mean, I, I am boggled. I'm seriously, I'm tested to believe that I, I understand the end of school stuff. You know, I don't accept it, but I understand why people go there. I understand the beginning of school stuff. I have got no idea why it isn't literally we aren't just seeing massive change taking place in those middle grades. There are five or six or seven years there where we should be giving kids every opportunity to do the sorts of things we talk about, to pursue their passions, to expose them to new ideas, to, to, to enable that agency we talk about, to build that trust in, in the, the te for teachers that we talk about. Surely that's the place that it all should be happening. I, I'm, I am lost as to why we don't see more of it happening in those spaces. That so-called, some call them the middle grades, the middle schools. I call them the wilderness years because people just go walk about and, and don't focus on what really matters for kids. I love Carol's, I agree, I totally agree with you. And I love um, the end of Carol's essay is basically a, a bit of a, a Twitter um, thread. Yep. Where, at the very, where at the very end of it, she says, um, you know, she goes through this thing and she just talks about how kids learn and, and how we really don't know what they're learning and how we really don't, can't understand, you know, what they're learning, but it's, it's about their process. And they say, she says, you know, they may be working on things that you find strange or trivial or baffling. They may have a sense of humor that you don't get. When you see a child doing the same thing over and over, looking at the same thing over and over, you may never know what they're learning. A child's growing brain is the most complex thing in the universe. Each one is developing in completely unique ways. But then she ends it with say, by saying, but hey, you go ahead and make a rubric for that. You're the, yeah, you're the expert, right? Yeah. You're the expert. And, and, but that, again, it, it has that power piece of it. We're the expert, right? We're the teacher. We understand this more than anyone. And again, I don't want this to sound like I'm throwing all teachers under the bus, but you know, I mean, the reality of it is, is that there's a big difference between teaching and learning and teaching does not equal learning. And um, we really don't know a lot 
it, it, teachers don't know a lot about how learning happens. None of us really know a lot about how learning happens except for the individual, yeah. right? The person who knows more about you as a learner, Bruce, is you. The person who knows more about me as a learner is me. Yep. And so, you know, uh, you know, and, and again, she says, um, just the last thing from this essay, um, but she says, what we should be measuring and comparing is not our children, but the quality of the learning environments we provide for them. And, you know, amen. It, it's yep. it's got to be about, are we giving kids every opportunity to pursue learning in whatever unique way, whatever unique circumstance works for them? And if we're not doing that, again, are we doing, then doing what's right for kids? And uh, again, I just think that the, most people would agree that we need to change it. But it is that question then of, you know, do we have the gumption? Do we have the, uh, the solidarity or the, you know, the, the, the strength to do that? Well, as, as we said earlier, you know, do we have, as you said, the, the courage to stand by what we believe? And I guess in wrapping this up, mate, uh, you know, again, to come back to Carol Black's uh, post there, I, I was trying to think, I, I might, it might even be five years, a long time ago, I, I came across one of her posts and it was one of those that I, you know, sort of looked at continuously. She has a lot of insight. So it's a, it's a great reflection on, on the sort of topics that we often explore. So if people aren't subscribing to it make sure you take a look at that at the same time uh, make mention of the white paper we did uh, seven strategies to win the war on learning obviously is another look at this whole topic um, it's a white paper that doesn't just highlight the issues we've been talking about but tries to provide some strategies some some ideas to take forward within schools so if you haven't downloaded that go to our website modernlearners.com and download the white paper and uh and like you, I'm looking forward very much to having these discussions face-to-face -face with people in Chicago in July. So um, uh, we'll continue these discussions at that time. And uh, it's been good talking with you, mate. Great talking to you as always, Bruce. Cheers. Cheers, mate.